Hello and welcome to the Daily Gator Daily Thoughts Podcast. If you're left, you just ain't right, my friends. And the Saturday edition, I've worked out a schedule. I'm going to try to stick to this. Uh, how about we do one of these Sunday and Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And I may switch to Saturday later in the year from Sunday. But for right now, Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, and hopefully these problems I've been running into getting to these will go away because I'll have more time and more certain days I can do certain things. Now, let's start off with some sports, some major league baseball. Last night at the Fenway Park in Boston, uh, home of the Red Sox, obviously, some of the best fans in sports, Boston Red Sox fans, uh, the only good thing I really say about the Red Sox, I usually root against them, unless they're playing the damn Yankees, and I root for them. I'd probably root for, well, I couldn't root for communists over the Yankees, but I'd root for pretty much any team over the Yankees. Uh, perhaps the Dodgers. I don't like them very much either. But anyway, the Blue Jays played the Red Sox, and the Blue Jays, the road team, they, well, they won, and if if Donald Trump was still president, he would say the Blue Jays won bigly. Uh, the Red Sox scored five runs. Not not bad in Major League Baseball. Probably about average. But uh, the Blue Jays, they scored a little bit more than that, my friends. They scored 28 runs. And, uh, well, 28-5 to five the final. The Blue Jays beat the you-know-what out of the Red Sox. <laughs> and uh, I was at a game like this. Uh, it was in Texas. There, we uh, the Rangers playing the Orioles, and it got to a certain point of the inning. But the Rangers just scored and scored and scored. Final score to that game was twenty six seven. I mean, there was just awesome, awesome offense by the Rangers. Uh, the Orioles used so many pitchers. They actually had a backup, a second baseman that ended the game pitching. Uh, they went through their whole bullpen, and the Rangers just kept getting hits. And a few years later, playing in uh, Baltimore, the Rangers scored 30 runs. I didn't watch that game on TV. I wasn't at it. But uh, I love these games where it just is craziness, absolute sanity. Uh, I think the one I really miss seeing, if I could have seen it, uh, was the... If I'm correct, I can't remember. I was a kid. I was a 13 or 14, I believe. The Phillies beat the Cubs, if I'm correct, 23 to 22. You imagine how long that game lasts. Because once a pitcher goes south, the manager will pull him, and the, the, the guy from the bullpen, he has to come in and throw a few warm-up pitches. But 23-22, that would be an incredible game. But anyway, congratulations to the Blue Jays. They beat the Red Sox. And that's your sports That's your sports hot flash for the day, my friends. Uh, in the entertainment industry, from what I hear, one of the nicest people, nicest guys in Hollywood uh, is Keanu Reeves, apparently. Really cool, really laid back. Uh, just a good guy. Same thing I hear about Denzel Washington. Same thing I've heard about others. That, you know, they, they just treat people with a lot of respect and treat them well. And, and they don't act 
like I'm a celebrity get away from me peasant and they don't act like anything like that but John Wick 4 apparently well there's gonna be a new John Wick John Wick 4 and I guess there's a few people he hasn't killed in the first three so he's got to finish the job I had a uh, I thought up the ultimate this type of movie the action thriller you know, special, special uh, ops badass or hired assassin badass. Just, just when they get, you know what, angry, they really can cause damage, right? I, I figured it this way. If you had John Wick uniting with uh, Liam Neeson from uh, Taken, remember that one where his daughter was kidnapped? And they they called him for I guess for ransom. And he's in the first one. He said, you know, I have a uh, I have a special set of skills that makes me a nightmare for people like you. And he ends up I will find you, and he does, and he kills them all. But you take those two characters and you add in maybe the coolest of all, uh, Denzel Washington. In, in the first, I didn't like the second one, but the first one. Uh, what was the, the name of the movie? Uh, damn. Uh, CBS has a show now. But he was a CIA guy. And he would he would time everything out. Make the opening fight scene. He walked in and he timed out and kind of envisioned in his mind how he would wipe out all these bad guys in brutal fashion. And then he did. And it took like 40 seconds or something. What was the name of that movie? I cannot think of it. Uh... But anyway, have those three characters one movie. Imagine the bad guy body count in that movie. Imagine the special effects, the special moves, the completely unrealistic fight scenes. But man, it would be fun. It really The Equalizer, that was the name of the movie. Equalizer 2 kind of sucked. Uh, but The Equalizer was awesome. Because Denzel Washington was this, he worked at like a Home Depot. And he was just a casual, really nice, well-respected older guy who was a widower, and everyone liked him, and he's just a dream to work with. And no one ever suspected that he was this lethal weapon of a human being. Uh, the Equalizer, John Wick, and Liam Neeson from Taken. Those three guys, wow, what an absolute absolutely great movie that could be absolutely and that reminds me of i guess you know you watch these movies and you say people aren't that good in real life i mean come on but i remember the story is from afghanistan and there were two gurkhas you know the gurkhas from nepal these are not people you screw with you don't screw with the gurkhas the Japanese in World War II were terrified of the Gurkhas because they would build these elaborate uh, booby traps and they would do things to the Japanese soldiers that the Japanese soldiers were like, oh my God. A uh, quick example from Afghanistan, two of them. One, there was, uh, I believe, a U.S. serviceman or, or one of the people that, that the Gurkhas were fighting with was beheaded by the Taliban. So this Gurkha went out, grabbed somebody from the Taliban, beheaded him, put their head on a pole, and was waving it at the Taliban so they could see it. But the incident I'm talking about, apparently there were two. One was killed. Uh, the other one, 
there was about 30 mem 30 Taliban attacking them and he used up all the ammunition in his machine gun and he killed the rest with his bare hands in fact the last one he beat to death with the empty machine gun and somebody was remarking about how incredible that two Gurkhas uh, one was killed but two Gurkhas took out 30 Taliban fighters and the commander, I believe, with the colonel of the, the unit the Gurkhas were, were fighting with, said, I don't believe 30 Taliban thought they could take out two Gurkhas. Bad people don't ever mess with the Gurkha. They're probably the nicest people to know, but they're legitimate. They're legitimately badass. I like the Navy SEALs, the Green Berets, etc. Uh, the Israeli commandos, don't mess with those people. And probably you never will have a problem because... They're some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Some of the calmest, most rational. Uh, when I was growing up uh, in the neighborhood, there was a guy who'd been in Vietnam. He's a Green Beret, and he was one of the nicest, most mild-mannered human beings. But everyone was terrified of him. He, a, he had a dog that was absolutely, you didn't come in the yard, that dog would eat you alive. Uh, but it was him. He was a green bear. One of the nicest, calmest human beings I've ever spoken with. Very intelligent. Loved to sit and talk. And he could tell people were kind of intimidated by him. And he'd say, look, man, come on, man. Grab a beer. Come talk to me. Man. We're, it was the winter. We're sitting up by the fire behind a buddy's house. And he happened to be this man. Come on, man. We just talked. We just chatted. And... You know, we talked a few times, and I, I eventually got the kind of the courage up to ask him about Vietnam. And he said, I, I really don't like talking about it. I'll tell you one thing, and then I, I don't want to talk about it anymore, basically. He said, we did some very bad things to some people who deserve to have very bad things done to them. Speaking of the North Vietnamese. But uh, anyway, that would be a great blockbuster movie probably not going to happen but let's talk a little bit about uh let me see where should we go first the federalist very good uh, website for op-ed material uh david hosanyi wrote this uh and the title is biden has no right to declare a national climate emergency you know, he did that the other day before he was diagnosed with uh, COVID. But he said, basically, if Congress won't act, I will. I have to to save the planet, blah, blah. Same old left-wing uh, climate BS. But then he, he called it a, before he, he issued the executive actions, he called global warming, climate change, whatever you want to call it, a national climate emergency. Uh, and Mr. Hassani writes this. He writes, the Washington Post reported Monday night that President Joe Biden is considering de declaring a national climate emergency. This is two days before he did it. To salvage his environmental agenda in the wake of stalled talks on Capitol Hill, uh, thank you, Senator Manchin of West Virginia. Basically, he, he put a kibosh on it, said, I can't vote for this until we look at the inflation numbers. Because, again whole lot of spending in this you wonder why we have inflation president biden you can't stop spending i mean trump spent too much every president since i don't probably since andrew jackson has spent too much 
but uh, Biden has taken it to a new extreme level. It might even be called a spending emergency if I was president. Uh, but the Associated Press report a few hours later that the administration would hold off on the announcement uh, as he presumably lays the political groundwork to move forward. That happened, I believe it was Wednesday. There's no, it's summer clause in the Constitution, Ersani writes, empowering the president to ignore the will of Congress. Remember, that's where the legislation comes from, kids, is from Congress, the Senate, the House, and then the president can sign it, veto it, uh, and and then the, the Congress can override the veto if they have enough votes. But anyway, that's the way it's supposed to work. And just because it's summer, the president can't willy-nilly say, oh, it's an emergency, though, so I'm going to basically write de facto legislation. That ain't how our Constitution works. And remember, we are a constitutional republic, not a democracy. But the Congress rejected his agenda. And Arsani writes, though you have to marvel at the utter shamelessness of Democrats, incessantly warning that, quote, democracy is on the precipice of extinction, now they are urging the president to act like a petty dictator and bypass Congress. Just do it by executive order. Here, I'm the president. I can do whatever the hell I want. Not how it's supposed to work. It's been less than a month or Sunday, right, since the Supreme Court rejected the EPA uh, claim that bureaucrats could govern without Congress to regulate carbon, which to say is the entire economy. What makes anyone believe the president, who incidentally just got back from begging Saudi Arabia theocrats to pump more oil while refusing to pump ours, of course, because American oil apparently pollutes worse than Saudi oil or Russian oil or Venezuelan oil. It's amazing how that works. Anything to hurt America, basically. Uh, but Biden's trying to, again, bypass the Congress. I'll just do what I want. I'll just create a regulatory regime and my own rules. Screw Congress. Screw the Constitution. Screw America. Arsani continues, we now have senators like Jeff Merkley, who told reporters on Monday that Biden's emergency edict, listen closely, unchains the president from waiting for Congress to act. Congress is supposed to act. We have the legislative branch, the judicial branch, and we have the executive branch. Biden is the executive branch. Okay. The legislative branch is a Congress. They can write a law. The president doesn't write law. That's not how it works. Uh, openly undermining their oath to the Constitution by attacking the institution we represent. Okay, so you get sworn into the House of the Senate, you take an oath. If you take an oath and then you say, well, we can't get it passed, too much disagreement, so I want the president to do our job for us. That ain't constitutional, boys and girls. It's bad for the country. When unconstitutional things are done and unconstitutional practices are adopted, Bad, bad, bad for America. I don't know how more simply I can put it. Uh, Bloomberg reports that an emergency declaration would, quote, unlock the president's power like they've got his power 
and he can't use it. No, that's a constitution that constrains the legislate the executive branch from getting into legislation. Okay, it, it seems pretty simple, doesn't it? But we can't stick to it. Uh, but this would give him power to redirect federal funding to clean energy construction. Well, why don't we just put a crown on his head and call him King Biden? Or King falling down all the time. Or King, I can't ride my damn bicycle without falling. Or King, I can't remember what the hell I was supposed to say. Who, who are you? Where am I? Where's my tacos? Oh, that would be Jill Biden with the tacos, I guess. Uh, when Donald Trump enacted an emergency declaration to reallocate funding earmarked for, mili for a military project to build a wall on the U.S. southern border, I'm sure you remember that, Congress raised hell. The Democrats went ballistic. You can't do that. It's not your job. You're the executive branch. We're the legislative branch. You can't do that. But now the shoe's on the other foot, and, well, go figure. Democrats have lost their religion again. Now, Harsanyi wrote, at that time, uh, the entire establishment melted down. Declaring a national emergency could give Trump author authoritarian powers. That's what the left said. But they're trying to give Biden authoritarian power. The only difference? Biden's a Democrat. Trump was a Republican. Also, Biden can probably be controlled pretty easily. Because I don't know who's really steering, steering the uh, ship... Of, Around, it's not Joe Biden. I guarantee you that he's not capable anymore. A columnist at uh, New York claimed a win for Trump of Trump's authoritarian agenda. Wrote another in Forbes, and so on. It's worth remembering the border is within the purview of the federal government. Okay, that's national security. The weather, the climate. Uh, no, that's not in the purview of the federal government. Which brings us, Harsanyi writes, to another small problem. There is no emergency. Politicians might treat every hurricane, tornado, and flood as an ap apocalyptic event and then conveniently blame their political opponents for failing to rein in nature. But by every quantifiable measure, humankind is less affected by climate than ever before. Despite the massive expansion of fossil fuel use, despite the explosion of the world's population, far fewer people these days die from the climate. Our ability to adapt uh, to weather and, and well, my mouth won't rebel today. Acclimatize, or acclimatize rather, to the realities of climate change, whatever they may be, is far cheaper than state-compelled dismantling of the Constitution. You may vigorously disagree, and that is a political debate about a policy that belongs in Congress among representatives of the people. If every hurricane, heat wave, or flood is a justification for unilateral federal executive governance, we will be in a perpetual emergency. Oh, yes, that is absolutely correct. Regulating carbon emission is an open-ended invitation to regulate the entire economy and yes, Mr. Sonny writes, which is the point. Go read the rest of this at the Federalist, my friends. Complete hypocrisy again from the left. And when you get a hold of certain things, such as 
well, climate legislation. If you get one party can and one man can do what he wants to as far as climate policy, you can shut down the economy. You can do many things that could do irreparable harm to this country. And that's that's terrifying. And I, I remember, it seems there was a time when I was little, I still believe that this country in certain ways would do certain things whether they Democrat or Republican for the good of the country. Okay? There was still some spirit of actual bipartisanship. And I'm, I'm not using bipartisanship as some meaningless blah, 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 blah. I'm using it in the genuine sense. If a president can just declare whatever he wants to, uh, we're, we're lost as a nation, frankly. And it is the extreme uh, hypocrisy from the left. And yeah, the right can be hypocritical, too. I mean, I'm, I don't have a high opinion of many politicians at all. But I will tell you that uh, overall, I'll take my chances with Republicans over Democrats. Because Democrats are pretty, pretty open about what they want. With the green agenda, the climate change agenda, the taxing, the spending, uh, it's it's too much. The soft on crime approach. I mean, uh, Lee Zeldin's running for governor of New York. A guy attacked him, was it yesterday? With some kind of keychain you hold in your hand... And it's a weapon. It's got two little metal. They're not prongs. They're not. They won't. They're not knife blades or anything. But you could do some serious damage with that. You could kill somebody with that. And of course, New York. Now think, someone is running for governor. They have a campaign appearance. They're giving a speech. Somebody runs on stage and tries to literally, literally tries to kill them. Uh, the security there took the guy down. He got arrested. He was released from jail the same damn day did you hear what i just said someone just killed a, a the republican nominee for the job of governor of the state of new york tried to kill them and they got charged with i believe a misdemeanor and they've been released and somewhere down the line this psychopath will kill somebody and not one person who let him go whoever's in that process not one person will pay the price for letting that freak go. Uh, and that's not political. It wouldn't matter if it was a Democratic nominee. But it shows you where the left is now. They don't care about anything but their own power. And that's just it. And that's where it stops with them. Now, Jim Harbaugh, you know who he is? He's the Michigan Wolverines head football coach. And Jim Harbaugh has been very successful at Stanford as a college head coach. Uh, he was very successful with the San Francisco 49ers, took him to the Super Bowl. Where incidentally, he, they played the Ravens, who was coached by John Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh's brother. The, the uh, 49ers won, or the Ravens won, rather. Uh, and Jim Harbaugh has been uh, pretty successful at Michigan. I think he got a job at Michigan and everyone said, oh, yeah, you're, it's magic. We're going to win national titles. And it's not easy to do. Uh, he hasn't done yet, but he has been, I think, a success. We, we go too hard on certain coaches. We have to have a little patience. Uh, had a very good year last year, the Wolverines did. 
But he got in some trouble, reports John Simmons at Newsbusters. See, he's uh, he's pro-life, and today in the in in the left's view of the, the country, you there's no person lower in value than someone who is pro-life, who thinks that an unborn baby should not be killed in the womb. That's just the way it is. Uh, the Wolverines head coach had the strength and conviction to say that all life should be valued, especially that in the womb. Naturally, the pro-choice contingent on Twitter, they went crazy. Uh, and they went to work their t- same tired routine and decided to attack the coach online for daring to be countercultural. Remember when counterculture was cool? Not anymore. Uh, Charlotte Clymer, who has on Twitter... And she has a, I guess, Ukrainian flag, some kind of flag. I don't know what it is. Uh, and probably has 17 different pronouns she prefers. But she tweeted, it's very easy for Jim Harbaugh to say this when he and folks like him can't even find the courage to demand a society that doesn't elect, neglect a child after they're born. Show me where Jim Harbaugh fights for children's health, care, and education, and we can talk. So let me get this straight. If you're pro-life, you're a hypocrite if because you don't want the baby killed. But if you're, in this case, Charlotte Clymer, whoever the hell she is, uh, you're, you're a gutless coward and you shouldn't speak because you don't care about the uh, health care of babies. You don't, you don't want to see a child or you don't care if the child is neglected. You don't this, you don't... Excuse me, Charlotte Clymer, you're advocating for killing the child. You have just surrendered every moral stand you could ever take. Okay? You died on that hill, so to speak. That's the hill you chose to die on, where your ideology is dying on. But this business is saying, well, if you don't adopt children that are unwanted or unplanned pregnancies, then you can't criticize abortion. Horseshit. I I don't hold a job where I can put people in jail for committing uh, armed robbery. Doesn't mean I can't have an opinion that armed robbery is wrong, does it? Uh, we have some more here. Uh, this is from Lonine Noyo, I believe is how you pronounce it. Uh, very, very, very eloquent tweet here. Uh, the, the words of this, and again, language warning, fuck Jim Harbaugh and everyone who believes this way. Forcing people to give birth is not courage. No one's forcing anybody to give birth. Okay. Nobody. No one wants to have anybody forced to give birth, but most pregnancies occur because of something that the woman did. Yes, there was a man there too, but of course, why should we even talk about the man? Because only the woman's quote, choice matters. That's the line we've been sold. And it always amazes me how cold-hearted the left is. And their visceral reaction. I've seen incidents since the uh, Supreme Court ruling where someone said, hey, I'll adopt your baby. We'll pay for your medical care. You're free and clear. Have the baby. We'll adopt it. You'll raise the child. And these people that offer this are mocked viciously by these, quote, pro-choicers. It's like the only choice they care about is killing the baby. 
Uh, this one, Sarah Grisham wrote, have the courage to admit you're full of seething hate toward women, Jim Harbaugh. What evidence is there that he hates women? You know, at least half the babies that are aborted, I bet are women or females. I bet Jim Harbaugh's wife, and I believe he has some, some children, might be daughters. I doubt they think he hates them. Again, this, if you say you're pro-life, you're automatically have stirred up the most angry, uh, rabid, incoherent hornet's nest you can possibly imagine. They, These women and men who are, especially the women, who are so heavily pro, quote, choice, they're, I mean, look at Senator Liz Warren, wants to close down crisis pregnancy centers because they don't offer abortion services. AOC is right with them. A lot of liberal women legislators want these places shut down. You're pro-choice, but you're trying to take a choice away from women. You're not pro-choice. You're a bunch of damn liars. And you know what? Jim Harbaugh is a lot better human being than any of you squawking hens are. Whatever made you so immoral, and I'll say it morally retarded, I don't know, but I will hope that one day you will wake up and realize exactly what an evil you're supporting. And now let's move on, my friends. Uh, let's go to one of my favorite blogs, uh, Diogenes's Middle Finger. It is a phenomenal blog, DiogenesMiddleFinger.com. Young lady runs it, uh, goes by the handle of Diogenes Sarcastica. And she is sarcastic, which I appreciate because I'm a sarcastic bastard. And she is humorous. She's a great writer. And absolutely, to me, uh, one of my favorite people to read. The headline of her piece was came out about uh, four days ago. The crazy old bat warned us, and we laughed. Not long past, some crazy old bat pronounced that it takes a village to raise a child. We laughed because we understood not what it portended. People who, know, who now call themselves progressives did. But first, let's clear the air about the word progressive. We are talking a sort of sleight of hand here. Progressive philosophy is rooted in 19th century Marx and is extreme anti-democratic socialist philosophy and radical social reformer and education philosopher John Dewey who believe education is the fundamental method of radical social progress and reform. Their rooted early 20th century racist and eugenicist ideas of Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, by the way, and the mid-century sex researcher and homosexual pedophile Alfred Kinsey. Let's be clear, what progressives progressives put forth is not progress as presented today. They are mostly uh, regurgitated, stale, idealistic machinations left to survive in the minds of idealist academics. Pure and simple, it's regression, and we should start calling the advocates what they really are, regressives. She continues, not a day goes by we don't hear some kind of policy coming from regressives that are that are rooted in just these four examples. There are many more unnamed people and principles besides a few. We laughed at the crazy old bat and her pronouncement, 
Perhaps we should have taken it as a warning. And what she wrote this was, was to set up a story that appeared on Breitbart and other outlets uh, recently. Maybe four or five days ago. Uh, the California School Board is considering opening uh, Planned Parenthood on high school campuses. You know what Planned Parenthood is about. You know their main thing is abortion. So basically what they're telling you is they would like to open abortion mills on high school campuses. But the places they wish to, to uh, open them are located in 80% uh, Latino and 90% minority school district. The selected papers of Margaret Sanger, Volume 2, uh, Diogenes writes, contains a speech to supporters edited out in uh, post-1980 editions that the weeds, Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist. She was a racist. She's a horrible human being. And by the way, she was one of Hillary's role models. Uh, but the weeds were a reference to, listen closely, non-white races. White supremacists much there, Margaret, in uh, the human race should be kept, listen closely, under control or eliminated. Again, eugenics. Planned Parenthood has followed her direction ever since its founding and has succeeded far beyond her wildest dreams. This does fit with the Democrats' racist view of minorities. They are their necessary useful idiots. And that's how the Democrats treat black people. And they're getting angrier every day because more and more Hispanics are saying, you know, I don't want none of your shit, Democrats. I think I vote Republican. They're, they don't like Biden. They like Trump. You've got lots of Venezuelans, lots of Cubans in Florida especially. They know what communism is. They lived under it or their parents or grandparents lived under it, were oppressed under it. So they get it. They're not going to vote for Democrats. Because Democrats are America's Communist Party, basically. That's just laid on the line. You can call me whatever I want, whatever you want, but I'm right on that, and you know it. Uh, this is from the Breitbart piece. Taxpayers should be horrified that the Norwalk La Marada uh, U.S. District is considering a partnership with Planned Parenthood. Uh, parents defending education president and founder Nicole Neely told Fox News the fact that the contract specifically notes that, listen closely, under California law, minors, people under 18 years of age, minors have the right to consent to reproductive health services without parental consents or notification is appalling in and of itself that's right if you're a minor in california and you're pregnant you can get an abortion and you don't have to tell mommy or daddy that's the wonderful state of mark california for you uh but continuing from the breitbart piece referring to the possibility of students being referred to off-campus clinics for services not offered, uh, Neely continued, other Planned Parenthood clinic, clinics do provide gender-affirming hormone therapy, 
So there's a very real possibility students will be referred off campus to receive this treatment. Again, zero parental notification. And we know it, it's, it's an open secret that the left hates parents. Parents are, they really should, should the father should derive the sperm, uh, the woman to provide the eggs, she should carry the baby, she should have them or kill them for any reason. But, and then the state must raise them, basically. The parents can be there and they can, you know, they can let the kids live there, but basically they want to raise the kids. Because the state knows best. That's the backbone of communism right there. The state is in charge. You're not. You think you have parental rights? The left doesn't want that. The left doesn't believe in that. The left basically believes the state should raise your children. Period. And they'll give you some visitation, basically. But they'll they'll be in charge of educating and molding and shaping their minds, their attitudes, etc., etc. Uh, referring to the possibility of students being referred to off-campus campus clinic clinics for services not offered. Remember that. Remember those words. Planned Parenthood will be right on on these high school campuses. Again, zero parental notification. Do you want uh, gender affirming care? You want to uh, have an abortion? There you go. Hell, I mean, you can do all that, and you, California law says you don't have to notify your parents. There you go. You think that's not the state trying to take away? completely take away parental supervision and, and parental rights. And I will tell you, I'll, there are some bad parents in the world, but there's a whole hell of a lot more bad statists than you'll ever find bad parents. Again, Diogenes writes, perhaps we should have taken the crazy old bat's words as a warning. Since the pandemic, the, quote, village and its methods used to sway away or sway young minds have come to light for all to see. A cancer on the country's minds and bodies. Remember, you had the school, a school shut down, remote learning. You got to learn from home, do school from home. And a lot of parents started seeing this stuff and going, what the hell are they teaching my kids? And a lot of angry parents rose up and said, no, 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 no. And, of course, uh, we saw how the left reacted, compared them to terrorists, domestic terrorists. You're a parent trying to raise your kids? Doing what you think's best for your kids, you're a damn terrorist. That's the left today, folks. And one more thing that uh, Diogenes notes: just a brief glance at social media makes it clear it's not just a village we're dealing with, but a village of the damned. Again, great writer, short to the point, uh, and that's terrifying. I don't think there's any feeling more gut-wrenching to a parent than than being threatened by the state where where your child's care or upbringing are uh, are concerned. Very, very, very scary stuff, my friends. Now, I ran across this the other day, and I don't even know how I did. But does the name G.K. Chesterton ring a bell to you? It's a name I had heard, but really I had to kind of refresh my memories. 
but there's a website called Chesterton.org, and there's a series of lectures on here, quotations, selected works of him. Um, G.K. Chesterton was a writer, and he wrote a lot about, in fact, he may have been the first one, eugenics, which we were just talking about in the previous story. Uh, but he wrote a piece, uh, several pieces about eugenics. And a gentleman named Dale Aquist uh, wrote this, The Case Against a Scientifically Designed Society, which basically is what eugenics is. Eugenics is a nice sounding word, combining as it does with the Greek words for good and birth. What could be better? And Francis Galton, who made up the word and the idea, proposed eugenics for the, quote, most terrifying, some of the most terrifying words you'll ever hear of the government speak, for the betterment of mankind. That's right. Those words made me want to say, dear God, at times. Other times they just made me think, oh, shit. But that's as far as the nice-sounding stuff goes. The actual definition is rather horrible. The controlled and selective breeding of the human race. Yes, I said breeding. Not of dogs, not of horses, not of cats, not of rabbits or anything else. No, no, no. Uh, human beings. Breeding of human beings. Breeding of human beings. We're not animals. We're human beings. When you talk about breeding human beings, you know what you're talking about. Everyone should know what that means. Galton based his ideas on the theories of his cousin, a guy by the name of Charles Darwin. By the beginning of the 20th century, when Darwin's theory was safely embraced by the scientific establishment, eugenics was getting good press. The New York Times gave it constant and positive coverage. I guess the New York Times sucking goes back a few years. Luther Burbank and other scientists promoted eugenics. George Bernard Shaw said that nothing but a eugenic religion could save civilization. Wow. Only one writer, only one wrote a book against eugenics. Again, G.K. Chesterton. His the title of the book was Eugenics and Other Evils may be his most prophetic book. Eugenics led directly to the birth control movement. All the same players were involved, such as Margaret Sanger, who was a member of the American Eugenics Society. Again, Hillary Clinton's hero. And was the editor of Birth Control Review. The primary philosophy was trumpeted on the cover of the birth control review. More children for the fit, less for the unfit. Well, who will decide what is fit, what is unfit? Oh, of course, the state. The left's God is the state. Never forget that. She made it clear whom she considered unfit. Listen closely. Again, Hillary Clinton's hero, Margaret Singer revered by the pro-choice movement, started Planned Parenthood, 
Listen to her words. She describes who is unfit. Hebrews, Slavs, Catholics, and Negroes. She set up her birth control clinics only in their neighborhoods. She openly advocated the idea that such people should apply for official permission to have babies. Do you hear what I said, my friends? Margaret Singer openly advocated the idea that if you were a Hebrew, a Slav, a Catholic, especially a Negro, you needed to apply to the state to get permission to have children. I guess she'd have been a big fan of China's, uh, what, two-child policy? And certainly only a certain number of girls. She openly advocated that those people should apply for official permission to have babies. Just like immigrants have to apply for visas. Why don't we hear of this connection between Sanger, the founder of the Planned Parenthood, and eugenics? Well, I think we know why. Two words. You know what those words are? <laughs> Adolf Hitler. Yes, psychotic little bastard. He officially instituted eugenics. Leading an entire country, that would be Germany, in carrying out its principles not only to breed what he believed to be a superior race, but to eliminate everyone whom he considered to be inferior all oh, the wonders of big government, big state-run government. The more state in your life, the more your life will suck. That's just the way it is. Where did Hitler find early support for his eh, eugenics ideas? From Margaret Sanger and her, her circle. Eugenic scientists from Nazi Germany wrote articles for Sanger's Birth Control Review. And members of Sanger's American Birth Control League visited Nazi Germany. Oh, what a party. They set in on sessions of the Supreme Eugenics Court and returned with glowing reports how, how sterilization law was, oh, it was weeding out the worst stains in the Germanic stock in a scientific and truly humanitarian way. In other words, we're going to wipe you out because of your race, your religion, or ethnicity, but we'll be humane about it. Aren't we wonderful? Someone give us an award. After the Second World War, when the world learned of the horrors of the that little thing called the Holocaust, six million dead, six million Jews dead, along with tens of millions of others from what Germany did, uh, they were an equal opportunity evil. In the death camps, the term eugenics was utterly discredited. Once people saw what eugenics was, they didn't like it so much. It didn't sound so wonderful, did it? It didn't sound so humane or uh, like it was really for the betterment of society. It sounded like what it was. Brutal, brutal democide. Death by government. When you give the state all the power, you better start praying. Because that's the only thing that can save you. Margaret Sanger was quick to distance herself from eugenics and began to emphasize birth control as supposedly a feminist issue. She just, she was smart. She was, uh, I'll change the spin. 
we don't hear about eugenics at all anymore. But unfortunately, the philosophy behind eugenics is with us still. Generally speaking, all the original arguments in favor of eugenics have become the same arguments in favor of birth control, abortion, euthanasia, even cloning. Chesterton understood this, but he understood it in 1910, over 100 years ago, which is when he started writing his book, which was not published until 1922. As with so many other things, Chesterton saw exactly what we see, only he saw it long before it happened. Eugenics, like abortion, bases all its benefits on denying, listen closely, my friends, on denying an entire class of humans their humanity. With eugenics, it was the unfit which usually meant the poor, the weak, or simply the ethnic types who were just having too many children. With abortion, there is a perceived benefit to someone by eliminating the weakest and most defenseless of humans, the unborn. As Chesterton says with chilling accuracy, they seek his life in order to take it away. Eugenics and abortion is about the tyranny of the elite, deciding who shall live and who shall die. And if it's about the elite, it's about money. It was the Rockefellers and the Carnegies and other capitalist lords who funded eugenics research in the early 20th century. They went on to be major supporters of, guess what? Planned Parenthood. Chesterton say, uh, says that wealth and the social science supported by wealth tries inhuman experiments. And when they fail, they try even more inhuman experiments. They are inhuman because they are godless. But they are godless because they don't want to face how inhuman they are. The wealthy industrialist became agnostic, Chess Chesterton. Not so much because he did not know where he was, as because he wanted to forget. Many of the rich took to skepticism exactly as the poor took to drink. It was a way out. Eugenics is also about the tyranny of science. Forget the tired old argument about religion uh, persecuting science. Chesterton points out the obvious fact that in the modern world, it is quite the other way around. The thing that really is trying to tyrannize through government is science. The thing that really does, the, does use the secular arm is science. And the creed that really is levying ties and capturing schools the creed that really is enforced by fine and imprisonment, the creed that really is proclaimed not in sermons but in statutes and spread not by pilgrims but by policemen, that creed is the great but disputed system of thought which began with, the, with evolution and has ended in eugenics. Materialism is really our established church for the government will really help it to persecute its heretics. Jesterson said the problem with official science is that it steadily becomes more official while it becomes less scientific. The man in the street, he says, must be wholly at the mercy of an academic priesthood. Remind you of today, my friends. If people who care about traditional truths attempt to object to eugenics or birth control or cloning, they are barraged with what Chesterton calls the same 
stuffy science, the same bullying bureaucracy, and the same terrorism by 10th-rate professors. And, folks, there is uh, a lot else at the, uh, uh, what is the address? www.chesterson.org, and there's a series of lectures there. This is lecture number 36, Eugenics and Other Evils. And again, this was in the early 20th century. I mean, it was first mentioned in 1910 by Chesterson. Uh, my grandfather was born in 1911. So before, you know, I go back four generations when this was written. And it's terrifying. And a lot of it fits. You look at what abortion has become. You look at the way pro-abortionists act. Consider, well, I mentioned this earlier, Senator, uh, Senator Warpath with her tomahawk. She wants to shut down crisis pregnancy centers. Those are typically centers that will help women. They'll give them, talk to them, advice, especially like a crisis pregnancy, an unplanned pregnancy, maybe a teenager, young girl. And they will give them options other than abortion. They don't uh, refer for abortions. They don't perform abortions. And because they don't do that, Liz Warren wants them shut down because to her, that's a danger. What's the danger? You're supposed to be pro-choice, Senator Warren. That's not pro-choice to say, I'm pro-choice, but I don't want those choices mentioned to girls. Again, Senator Liawatha living up to her name. Terrible, terrible, terrible person she is. And a lot of the pro-choice groups, a lot of the little terrorist groups, Jane's Revenge, there was another one whose name escapes me, but uh, doing damage to clinics, trying to shut them down, demanding that crisis pregnancy centers be shut down because they don't refer for abortions. And if you don't refer to abortions, and I assume by that they really, really mean if you don't push abortions, uh, then you're not really helping women. Think about that. And this ties in with what Diogenes was writing. And that's why I saved it the last. Uh, but look up G.K. Chesterson. Uh, really good writer. I think a very wise man. Uh, read into what he said and look at his speeches and other things, his writings. Uh, a very fascinating human being. And one of these people who you read things that George Orwell wrote and you think, Wow, he, 1984, Animal Farm, he saw things that other people didn't. Uh, Mr. Chesterson, I believe, is one of those people. Uh, and we have to be clear when talking. Sometimes we're not. We beat around the bush, so to speak, and we don't get down to brass tacks enough. Uh, you have to say it in certain ways. Uh, making up a sign and calling other people names and screaming at them probably is not going to get them to listen. But you need to lay it out in, in, in a very efficient, cold, hard facts manner that this is the truth. I have no reason to lie. This is the truth. This is eugenics. This is abortion. Look at the ties. Look at the attitudes. And uh, eventually, if we don't change course, 
we're going to live in a world where your control over your life, your children, even if you can have children, it ain't going to be there anymore. It's going to be in the hands of bureaucrats who are too often fanatics. Fanatics. See, Senator Liz Warren, I don't know what her agenda is. I don't know whether it's money out of her pocket. If more babies are not aborted, I don't know what it is. But I know she's hot and heavy to make sure that pro-choice ultimately means pro-abortion. And I know the overwhelming majority of innocent, sweet babies that are butchered by abortionists are black. They're Hispanic. They're not white. Think about that. I mean, this is, uh, and again, think about the ugly side of the pro-choice arguments. They've changed. They've gotten more and more and more coarse, more threatening, more openly evil and detestable. There's no more talk of a woman's body, her choice. It's, no, it's, it's increasingly this attitude of, it's my baby, I get to decide whether it lives or not. You hear that more and more. I mean, there's a difference in having someone say, I don't know what to do. I'm pregnant. I I just, I, right now, again, when someone steps forward and says, I'll adopt your baby. No. Now they're considered bad people. The left criticizes them for not wanting to, quote, take care of unwanted children. And then when they do, they call them weird. They call them nuts. They call them creepy. So the agenda here, at some point, has gone from a choice in a woman's body, that's a smokescreen, because the real agenda is government controlling who lives and who dies. Because once standards get set, they don't change. Understand that, my friends. Understand that. Now, that's it for me. God bless you. I appreciate you listening. I'll try to stick my best to new schedule. Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. God bless you. Take care of yourselves. Say your prayers. Eat your vitamins. Three golden rules of life, my friends. Go Gators. If you're left, you just ain't right. God bless America. Take care. Be good. And we will talk to you. Maniana Sunday. God bless y'all.